0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yielman, and today we have a variety of topics we're going to talk
1: about with some special uh, special guests, but I'll let Pastor Aaron introduce that. Yeah, well, thanks, Chris. So we are actually not in Windsor, Ontario today. We are in Grimsby, Ontario, coming to you from the Ezra Institute, the Knox cellar of the Ezra Institute, and several of us have been here this week for some training and lectures. On Monday, we had a a wonderful uh, conference called the Niagara Declaration Conference, which sort of sprung out of the, the Niagara 2020 Declaration, which we put together last year, sort of defining the church's relationship to the state. And then for um, for the remainder of the week, we're part of what's called a pastor's colloquium. So we have several pastors here and we're dealing with issues of worldview and sort of how the word of God impacts the way we respond to issues of statism and lockdowns and all that sort of thing. So normally it's me looking at you and you looking at me, but today we have the privilege of having Pastor Tim Stevens in the room. And uh, I know many people at our church will know exactly who he is. Uh, he's the senior pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary, and uh, he's one of a, a handful of pastors that has uh, taken a pretty bold stand for the absolute lordship of Christ over the worship and ministry of the church, and uh, he's he's a pastor that actually has done some time, so we have a criminal in the house today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, most of my listeners know that I've been threatened with jail time and receive several thousands of dollars of fines, but... Tim just decided to take it to a whole new level and, uh, he did, uh, almost three weeks, I think of, of jail time in Calgary. Um, this interestingly, Tim, you and I have been on a couple little, uh, zoom calls and whatnot. So when I actually was, um, saw you here, I'm like, actually, I've never met him in person until this week. You know, like you feel like, cause we're in this fight together that we've, we've known each other for a while, but, uh, Monday was the first time I was able to meet Pastor Tim in person. And uh, so welcome to the show. And you, know, you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit more and just kind of bring our audience up to speed on, on what's been going on in your life.
2: Yeah, well, well thank you so much, Aaron and Chris, uh, for having me on the show. I enjoy the show and watch it and commend it to others. The, it's, it's a privilege, really, to come here to Ontario and be able to, to meet other brothers in the Lord who have similar convictions because, uh, you know, as, as many of you likely have heard last year, as restrictions continue to increase in Calgary, uh, complaints were made. The police got involved and a series of tickets was given to myself as we continue to gather because the restrictions are really hindering our ability to be faithful to the Lord and worship. And so uh, as the consequences continued and we continue to gather, uh, eventually there was court orders and uh, I did serve a time, a period of time in jail in May. And then again, in June, they locked up our church and also put me in jail as well for, for three weeks, I think in total, mm. uh, before the restrictions lifted in, in July. So I still have a number of public health violations that are against me a criminal charge that's against me and so All right next january and may uh there are court dates if you want to be praying for that mm-hmm. that uh that i'll be in court for, for a number of days in, in that period so that's kind of the current current state of things but in the meantime the lord has so wonderfully blessed our church through this this has been such an opportunity for the gospel our people are are unified they have been sanctified they're encouraged they're built up and, uh, and, the, and the truth especially that has been so dear to us to, is, is the lordship of Christ right. and his supremacy over the worship with ministry of the church. And that has taken on a new meaning as, as we've been squeezed as a church and, uh, and, and our people are just overjoyed and, and we're having a witness and an effect in, in Calgary that uh, is so positive for the gospel.
1: Yeah, amen. And we're hearing that with a lot of churches across our country that have uh, taken what we, shall we say, a beating for Christ. You know, the Lord has been very faithful, and I've, I've said to Chris and others that, humanly speaking, this has been the most trying time of my life, but uh, spiritually, it's the most fruitful. You know, we're seeing lots of people coming to faith in Christ. Obviously, we have a lot of folks coming from other churches because their churches aren't aren't uh, honoring the Lord in the way that we believe they should be, but uh, a lot of unbelievers just kind of like stumbling and off the street almost that don't know anything, you uh, surrendering themselves to Christ and our, our baptistry has been full a lot <laughs> and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has in store. So great to have you on brother. It's and uh, Chris, I guess has a series of questions he would like to ask us sort of coming out of some of the themes we've been, um, you know, addressing here at the uh, the colloquium this week.
0: Yeah. So we have had a tremendous number of great messages given by Aaron, Tim, Joe, Andre, several other men, I'm sure some of those resources will be available online from the Ezra Institute, but we wanted to give you, our listeners, a chance to uh, to hear some of the questions answered firsthand uh, from these men. And so one of the topics that's come up real early in the this colloquium is the, the topic of sphere sovereignty. And maybe I'll get Tim to answer first, just to explain to our listeners what sphere sovereignty is and how that plays into this discussion of the relationship between the church and the state. And maybe even the relevance for your situation there in Calgary?
2: Well, it certainly been something that we've had to, you know, be teaching at our church. Really the idea of sphere of sovereignty is is what you know what the world ought to be and look like underneath the lordship of Christ. So the whole idea of sphere of sovereignty first of all starts with the fact that Jesus is Lord, Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so Jesus is King, He is Lord. And then what does it look like to live under His rule? Uh, We see from scripture that, you know, wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord and and husbands are given leadership in their family and over their children, over their wife. And and they're to steward, be stewards of their family, giving that that authority of leadership. But that authority is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So that's a, a sphere of authority that husbands have. We also see a sphere in terms of the church where God has appointed under Christ's lordship, again, elders who are then stewards and, and, and are held accountable to God directly by him, but are entrusted to care for the flock of God, to, to administer the sacraments, to proclaim the word, uh, and, to, and to see the gospel go forth. And then we also have this fear of the civil government, the civil magistrate, which in Romans 13 explains that, that these are God's stewards, his deacons. They are instituted by God, and so therefore they're directly accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ, And so, rather than uh, a a view of the of the state or the world where you have. The, the civil government, which is like their big, your big sphere and everything kind of fits inside of that as our typical perception of how society is outlaid. We see God giving different governments, stewardships to the husband, to the to the church, and also to the state. And, and there's naturally checks and balances between the two because Jesus is Lord and we don't want tyrants running all of society. And it, it also helped me to communicate to our congregation, when when do we listen to the civil authority? The civil authority has has usurped the Lord Jesus Christ and is now commanding what Christ has forbidden or for, forbidding what Christ has commanded, uh, that, then we must obey God rather than men. Or if that, if that civil magistrate and the civil authorities have, have reached into the sphere of the church, the sovereign sphere of the church, or into the home and begin to act like a husband or a father in the home or begin to act like an elder in the church, well, we have to say respectfully, we we, we cannot followed that. We can't, we can't allow that to continue to happen. And so it gives people a good understanding of, of, of the authorities that God has established on the earth and and the checks and balance so that, that sin doesn't reign and that the, that the gospel, the kingdom might continue to, to advance. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I think it was on Monday, maybe it was Andre, um, one of the, uh, the lawyer, uh, a teaching fellow at the Ezra Institute that might've mentioned with sphere sovereignty, that part of the you know, the overreach of the state for so long has meant that there's been a lack of responsibility on our part to take and steward that which is ours. We've kind of handed it over right. to the state. Maybe, Aaron, you could talk about how that's been in place even prior to COVID, but we've seen COVID kind of exaggerate that, you know, overreach of the state.
1: Yeah, well, you know, th- this crisis in our country has caused us all to sort of sit up and and think with a little greater clarity through things we didn't really have to spend a lot of time thinking about up till now. Um, Tim's explanation is great. I mean, the basic idea is think of a think of it this way: a Christian woman is standing on the street and she's approached by three men. One is the premier, um, one is her pastor, and one is her husband. And in Romans thirteen, she's told to submit to the state. In Hebrews thirteen, she's told to submit to her uh, pastor. And in Ephesians 5, she's told to submit to her husband, but they all give her com- uh, conflicting orders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who does she submit to? Well, she has to determine what is the sphere of authority that a particular person in a position of authority has. So this the premier doesn't have absolute authority. He does have some. Your pastor doesn't have absolute authority. He does have some. Your husband doesn't have absolute authority. He does have some. But each of those people have their authority hemmed in with sort of a circle a sphere. We haven't thought much about that. Mm-hmm. We've just sort of been, become lazy, I think in many respects. And we just assume that the, with regard to issues of the state, that the state has authority over everything. And what we've seen over the you know, course of Western civilization, which is obviously going back like 1700 years or so now, um, is the state has, has formed and it's grown larger and larger and larger. And because of laziness, we've allowed it to grow larger and larger and larger. So some of these are more significant illustrations than others. But it's interesting how we live in a world where the state, either on a municipal, provincial, or federal level, pretty much controls, well, everything. I mean, right down to, and I've used this illustration many times, there's some municipalities you have to have a sticker on your garbage bag in order for your garbage to get picked up. Mm-hmm. Or you have to have a little tag on your cat collar. It could be an indoor cat, not a rabies tag, some sort of a tag, a municipal tag. You got to have tags for your dogs. Some municipalities require a permit to cut down trees. Um, then there's all sorts of fees and permits that you pay when you buy property or you try to build a house. Well, you built a house for my son there last year or two years ago. And there's just all kinds of paperwork. You submit all this money for stacks and stacks and stacks of paperwork for which you see no benefit except for the building inspector he was helpful. but you pay you pay permits for things that no one even comes and inspects. and then you just kind of amp that up. you have all the traffic laws, you have taxation laws, you have um, laws pertaining to you know conduct and culture. Well, the every one of these laws and rules probably has some reason behind it. But the problem is it becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you have to allow people to live in a society that's a little bit messy instead of a society that's over-controlled. Or the consequences are what we're seeing out there today, Mm -hmm. which is the state now perceives themselves as having absolute authority over everything in life. So the next step is, well, of course we have authority over the church. We issued your building permit, you know, or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, you you agreed to have the hood in your kitchen inspected once a year, or your fire hydrants inspected. And um, we have insurance companies that also contribute to that. So the point is, we've become kind of maybe overly trusting. I think that's a, that's part of it. We're overly trusting of the state's genius. And we're, we have permitted them to continue to transgress in every single area. So it it's not really, well, clearly because of the response of most churches, which is just obey the state. Clearly, the the, the milieu has been uh, set in such a way that most churches don't have a problem with the state deciding when you can baptize or not baptize or marry or bury or, um, you know, administer uh, healing oil at someone's deathbed or whatever it might be mm-hmm. right um so this is a it's it's sad that we've found ourselves in this predicament but this is where we are and we have to fight our way out of it which is what men like tim um and myself and others are trying to do
2: mm-hmm. and i think i think part of it too is when when we as individuals or families or churches when we are okay by giving more responsibility to the state and say, here, you take care of education, and and here, you yeah. take care of welfare, and here, you take of, of medicine, and we mm-hmm. give all of this to the state because, hey, you guys deal with it, I don't wanna deal with Through it. We give experts. up our responsibility, and then and then now we have no freedom, right. and the state gets bigger and bigger, and, and the, the role that God has given to us as families and churches, we've now given to the state, and uh, they're not gonna give it back. Right,
1: yeah, exactly, so they control health public transportation. And, you know, I I was raised in a public school, as you know. I know you mm-hmm. were homeschooled. Yep. Did you go to a public school? Yes. Tim? Yeah. So public school, I, I just thought that was what everybody did. Mm-hmm. I just go to a public school. Hasn't the hasn't the state educated people since the time of the Garden of Eden? <laughs> I just, <laughs> just sort of assume that's the case. And you get older, you realize, actually, this is kind of weird. This is weird that Christian people turn their children over for six or seven hours a day to godless ideologues for the most part to indoctrinate into their worldview. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is why we have so many pastors and Christians that are okay with statism because they've been raised in the state of schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I would imagine many people remember the schoolhood or the school room of their childhood which was much more christianized and
1: kept a lot or had much more vestiges of the christian sure. religion. Yeah. I mean, we still had a little bit of that. I would say up to, I think up to grade eight, we still did the Lord's Prayer daily, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And I do recall one occasion in grade five, I believe it was, where my teacher, just on one occasion, I only remember once, he opened the Bible and he read a chapter of the Bible to us. But you would never get away with that today.
0: No. That would be hate speech probably (laughs) (laughs) or something like that, right? So- so, obviously, these sphere sovereignty, uh, this is a, a critical tool to understanding what we're facing and how to process it. One of the other conversations that's come up quite a bit is the topic of theonomy. Correct. Um, and so, Aaron, maybe you can explain for our listeners, because they've probably seen this word thrown around on comments on Facebook. You're a theonomist or your two kingdoms approach, and they might be clueless as to what that means yeah. or whether that's
1: a good thing or a bad thing. And how to understand it. So maybe you could start unpacking that a bit for us. Sure. So I've been doing theology long enough to know that whenever you're handed a word and expected to bear the label that you have to define what the label means Mm -hmm. because theonomy can mean one thing to one person, something different to another, or it can have certain baggage attached to it. So the word, the word theonomy comes from two Greek words, God's law. God law, right? So when we talk about theonomy, what we're talking about is God's law. Now, when we, when we mean law, a lot of Christians, when they hear the word law in Scripture, they just automatically think, oh, just just the uh, Levitical law, right? Just just those do's and don'ts in, let's say, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're actually talking about is all of God's law word. So the principles, the precepts, the do's and don'ts that are meant to govern human beings, and to which we are accountable. And when we hear God's law, read or preached, for example, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, we become aware of our sin, so it serves that purpose, and puts us in a place where we realize we need a savior. But it also hems in societies. It hems in societies. It's the basis upon which, for example, the magistrate in... um, Romans 13 is given the sword to punish the unrighteous and to reward the righteous. So if, if the magistrate in Romans 13, the state doesn't understand God's law, well then on what basis is the magistrate going to reward the righteous and punish the evildoer? So God's law affects uh, the salvation message as an, has a bearing on that. Uh, It is the, Basis upon which societies are to be ordered. It's the basis upon which we're supposed to understand what marriage is and is not. It's the basis upon which economics are formed because there's lots of scriptures that pertain to how to handle money. So in every area, even even with medicine, right? The Bible has something to say about what to do during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You quarantine the sick. You don't quarantine the healthy. So uh, all of God's law word is puts boundaries on the spheres. It defines marriage. It defines family. It defines the economy, etc. So generally speaking, when a person says I'm a theonomist, what they mean is that I'm comfortable with God's law still, even in 2021, being brought to bear upon all structures of culture and society. So I I believe in, um, in Western civilization, in fact, all the civilizations of the world, that ideally God's law should be the basis of criminal law. That God's law should be the basis of defining marriage. You don't define marriage by a vote in parliament. God says one man, one woman for life. That's marriage, not two men, not two women, not whatever it might be, three men, three women, puts boundaries on it. And this is these laws are not just for Christians. They are timeless laws that apply to all cultures. So when a person says they're a theonomist, that's essentially what they're saying. Now, the the pushback to theonomy is really a misunderstanding. So people that are anti-theonomist would say, "No, no, we don't want to talk about law because that means you're trying to you're trying to make people good in order to get to heaven." It's like almost, they, they, they might assume it's a works oriented salvation. Or you're trying to make everybody act like a Christian when they're not. You're trying to bring in some sort of a Christian republic and force people to live by, you know, God's, the, the word of God. And that's going to mix up, you know, that's going to mess with grace. And they won't understand, you know, what it means to truly repent of sin, et cetera. So this, I'm, I'm trying to make this very brief. But what I've said is everybody actually is a theonomist. Every single person is a theonomist. And what I mean by that is if you break it down, God's law, every culture, every human being appeals to some authority, some God. It could be themselves. It could be Allah. It could be the Veda scriptures. It could be the Christian God. They appeal to some law. It could be the state. They appeal to some law to decide what's right and what's wrong. So everybody has to live by a law. It just depends on who you're going to hear it from and who you're going to obey. Under statism, um, the state essentially becomes God. They don't call themselves that, but they decide what's right and wrong, what's moral and immoral. But what a lot of Christians, I believe, very falsely and dangerously believe is that what you got to do in order for everybody to get along is you got to create like a secular state. Because they perceive of secularism as neutral a spiritually neutral state within which all religions can flourish and kind of can do their own thing. Well, how's that working for us in our quote unquote secular state of Canada? It's clearly not morally neutral. It's immoral. Mm -hmm. And that's because we have men like Justin Trudeau functioning as sort of our high priest. He's like, this is right. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. And generally when he says that it's the opposite of what the scripture says. And because God is good and everything that God says is good, what Justin says is bad, and almost everything Justin says is bad, and so he's bringing destruction upon our nation.
2: Now, I would also add that for for those who, who push back against God's law and and that use, kind of in, in the civic realm or, or governing our lives, you know, it, it's really historically how Christians have understood it. You know, the reformers always understood three uses of the law in terms of law, being a schoolmaster, lead us to Christ, exposes our sin, our need for the cross. And then the law is also, you know, our guide as Christians. Once we are saved, the law is good. This is this is God's plan for our life. And, and the, the third use of the law is that, you know, the law restrains evil. And, and how is evil restrained? It's restrained by the civil magistrate using the sword, Romans 13, and, and the law by which they know what is right and wrong is, is the very standard of God. And in fact, in First Timothy 1, the, the Bible clearly speaks of this and it says, now we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, and for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And then it says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so the objection you mentioned, Aaron, was that people thought, well, well, if we, if we promote God's law then that is somehow antithetical to the gospel. But Paul says, this is in accordance with the gospel. This goes together. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Actually, I just posted that passage on my Facebook wall because about an hour ago, someone sent me a national post article. And there was a young man in Ontario here who raped four girls. And the judge is giving him no prison time. He's basically just accepting his apology And he's uh, giving him eight years of probation. But as far as I understand, there's not really any stipulations to the probation as well. That's where you go when you have a culture that has no moral basis. You have four. We live in a culture that's always like women's rights, women's rights, women's rights. What about these four women that were ruthlessly raped? Hmm. The Bible says something about how to handle rapists. And yet when you don't have that law in Canadian jurisprudence, you have these absurd rulings or some judge hears this kid get up. say, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I regret it. Uh, Okay. We're not going to put you in jail even. In the old days you would have been executed Mm -hmm. and um, minimally you would have been in historically in Canada, you would have been imprisoned. He just gets essentially a slap on the wrist. And that's just one of many examples of where, when a culture removes any sort of absolute, Um, basis for truth, you just kind of go crazy. The the mind, it's like Romans 1, right? The futility of their thinking. I look around me sometimes, Chris and, and Tim, and I'm just like, why is the world so crazy? I'm not expecting people to agree with me on everything, right? But why is it so crazy? I mean, these things are evident, they're obvious. A man that rapes a woman, and four of them no less, should receive a harsh punishment for his crime. Otherwise, what does it say about the value of women? Mm-hmm. So this is not just some academic conversation to debate on social media. It has bearing on real-life circumstances. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it comes down to that question of by what standard, yeah. right? What standard are we using not only to assess what's right and wrong, but what's a crime and what's a sin? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Bible is is specific on on sins that are sins and then also sins that are crimes and then and the, the kind of just punishment that those crimes uh, fit in. And, and for Christians who are kind of a bit repulsed or maybe, maybe they're, they're scared or put off by, by, by God's law thought of in that way. You know, we just have to read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible right. verse after verse, after verse praising the precepts, the commands, the statutes of God and their eternal nature and, and how, how the Psalmist loves them. And so we ought to be able to, sing that same psalm and read that same psalm today and also say amen
0: yeah absolutely okay i want to shift gears a little bit okay um tim this morning spoke in a session about the conscience and i think this has particular bearing for many of our listeners right now who are appealing to the conscience for some of the decisions they've made for perhaps vaccine vaccination choices etc and i think you did a really helpful job explaining it to the audience here this morning about the the uh, first order issues, second order issues and whatnot. And um, I think it'd be helpful to give a brief summary. I know we don't have a 40 minute (laughs) time slot in our podcast here to cover all of that. But if you could give a brief summary and then maybe we can engage a little bit together in a round table in in some of those ideas and how they apply specifically to uh, what we're facing and kind of maybe to be able to give encouragement to some of the people, yes, this is a matter of conscience.
2: Yeah, I'll try, I'll try to boil down that talk in, in a few minutes, but I think it's helpful to, to define conscience first off. Mm-hmm. You know, your conscience is your sense of you know your moral consciousness and awareness of, of of right and wrong, and how you understand if you were to stand before God and He was to to give an and you're to give an account to Him. So, am I guilty or am I, as far as I know, free? Um, based on what I've done, it also helps us to to make decisions for the future in terms of what is right or what is wrong, what I ought to do or ought not to do. So our conscience bears witness, and and is like a like a compass for us, and also that that internal judge before God. And so consciences are dealing with moral matters, and so the conscience is not mere preferences of you know whether you want apple pie cherry pie. That's not a, a matter of conscience. Matters of conscience are our moral matters where you feel. Um, sinful if you if you neglect this duty or or if you perform this certain action, you know, you, you can feel condemned. Your, your conscience excuses or accuses you. And when we think about matters of conscience, we we recognize that our our conscience and our moral awareness doesn't line up hundred percent with with God's assessment of us. And so there were Christians in Paul's day in Rome, some who felt like they couldn't eat eat meat, that, you know, that they had to fulfill continue to fulfill the dietary laws of the old testament and if they and if they did eat meat then they'd be sinning against the lord and there's others who had no problem eating meat. And so how how do we move forward as a congregation? Well, well Paul argues in Romans 15:14 and into 15 that the real key is understand these are matters of conscience. This, this is not a first order issue. One of my first order issue is that this is not a matter pertaining to salvation, like the doctrine of the Trinity, justification by faith alone. Those, those are issues that if we don't have agreement on, then, then we're not brothers in the Lord. And then the second order issues are issues that, that would prevent us from, from being in the same church together. We could, we're still brothers in the Lord, but, but maybe it's baptism, uh, our sense of ecclesiology, whether they're Presbyterian or, or another form of, uh, of church governance. And so it prevents us from moving forward together as a church, but we're still brothers in the Lord. But that the third order doctrinal issues are those issues that, that we can have legitimate disagreements and maybe even different practices, but we can still be together and be united. We're willing, even if someone is is feels that it's right and honoring to God to abstain from eating meat, then they won't despise their brother who does eat meat because they recognize this is a third order issue. I'm not going to let this divide us, and so it's it's a matter of loving and respecting one another. And this is relevant for for today with all the COVID protocols. Some of those protocols uh, might be second order issues, like like gathering. Um, I wouldn't leave that as a matter of conscience. Like you can gather if you want. Or gather if you want or don't gather if you want. Uh, we recognize there's some clear scriptural commands that prevent us from having a church where we have some that gather and some that don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of some of these other mandates, like whether to get a vaccine or a mask, we recognize some, some might be convinced that it's sinful to, to wear a mask. Uh, they think it's perpetuating a lie. It's 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 it doesn't actually work and God would be dishonored if they came to worship him and, and they were, had their face covered they, they couldn't engage in fellowship and and so they feel it sinful for them to do that whereas others might feel it sinful if they if they don't wear a mask at church and so how do we get along do we have we have mass church and unmasked church and vaccinated church is an unvaccinated church we recognize that, that that's not the spirit of Romans 14 and so we want to be able to to overlook those things and, and have a church and have a space where whether you're masked or unmasked, uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated, we're going to agree to walk together in the Lord and, and not judge one another because the Lord Jesus Christ is our, is our judge um, and not, not your brother and sister in the congregation. Yeah, that's, that's
1: good. That's what we've done at our church. So I've just said straight up, we will not divide our church over the vaccination issue and we will not divide our church over the mask issue. But I've also said, hey, have at it. Like robust debate is good. Try to convince one another of your position. Like have conversations. Um, you know, I have my own opinions on these issues, but I'm not going to necessarily impose them upon you know every person in leadership or every member of the congregation. And uh, if we if we do that, I think in some respects we're we're committing the same sin that the state is committing against us. Mm. And that we're transgressing our sphere of authority as pastor leaders in the church, and that we're trying to micromanage people's lives. So I'm, uh, we're all pastors, and in Hebrews thirteen, you know, we're told that uh, you know we can remind our church of this. They're 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 supposed to submit to their leaders. You know, we we love them. We're trying to make good decisions for them. Um, that doesn't just mean decisions on things that the Bible has already decided on. Right? like the, I don't need to say, oh, you need to submit to me on surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, it's a surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we manage our churches, there's decisions that we make from maybe how we induct people into membership to the times that we meet to maybe some of the nuances of ministry. And it can't be a free-for-all. But if I start saying to my people, okay, this is how many kids you're going to have. This is what your diet's going to look like. You know, this is, uh, you know… The, the exercise regiment you're going to go into or who you're going to marry or whatever. I don't have the authority to do that. My authority is limited. And uh, so these are matters of conscience. And, and I've been kind of pointing people to, to um, uh, Romans 14 as well. People like to park in Romans 13, but they need to read Romans 14 and Tim did a great job of that today. I want to kind of just um, read one line Out of a um, message, this has been sent to me twice today, and from what I understand, it's um, a—it's basically a a Christian asking his pastor for an an exemption. And by the way, we don't really like to call them exemptions; we like to call them declarations. Because if you call them an exemption, you're kind of saying, "Well, it's normal to require people to be vaccinated in order to work. I want an exemption from that." But. Nevertheless, we'll just use that societal language, even though I don't like it. But at the end of this request, the pastor basically said to his congregant, "I don't provide exemptions. My focus is Jesus." Mm-hmm. When I thought about that, I thought, "Man, this is this is um, so many things misunderstood all at once. It's a misunderstanding of sphere sovereignty because you're essentially giving a tip of the hat to the state to, to require." Experimental vaccinations in order to work, for example, it's a lack of understanding of theonomy in that you just throw up your hands and I'm I'm just into Jesus, you know, I just I just preach Jesus. It's just Jesus on the cross, Jesus crucified, and it's a it's a it's a reductionistic, uh, it's a simpleton's gospel is what it is. It's a simpleton's reading of scripture, so it's it's a violation of that the theonomic principles. And third, it's a disrespect for this man's. Conscience. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a pastor and you believe that you should get double vaxxed or triple vax, triple vax is the new thing today, according to CNN. Um, So even if you think you should get your triple vax, you can still write exemptions for people in your church that disagree with you on that. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is an application of Romans 14. It's not just this is my opinion, therefore, I will only write exemptions for people that agree with me. I have pleaded with the Christian church vaccinated and unvaccinated masked and unmasked Christians should all be united right now against tyranny and against mandatory, anything that's not mandated in God's word that violates people's consciences. Mm -hmm. And if we could find ourselves there, it'd be a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think
0: probably a lot of our listeners, um, in some ways may have paid attention to the articles being put out by, I know there was one by a couple of lawyers a few weeks ago, that essentially the modern term is they, they gaslight Christians by saying, your view of reality is not right. Uh, you believe that's a conscience issue, that's not a conscience issue. Oh, the
1: right. same lawyers, by the way, that blocked me on social media when I called them out on it. So they're being very objective. Oh,
0: wonderful. That <laughs> wonderful.
1: Yeah, that's the, uh, that's a new form of church discipline. It's yeah, just being
0: blocked. <laughs> so I have blocked a few statists myself, full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's for their own good though, to if keep attack, them from being. If they attack, yeah, anyway. <laughs> that's yeah
1: we'll have to do another we'll have to do another podcast on when and how to block people on social media (laughs) social media (laughs) etiquette a
0: a christian thinking of social media it's true so but it's very hard for some of these people who are taking this issue of conscience because they they truly before the lord do not want to sin by going against their conscience they're losing i've told many hr departments because i've written a few of these exemption letters once you fire the person their religious convictions now you have ample evidence that they have a sincere religious conviction so you yeah. should just hire them again good point, <laughs> <Yeah>. good point. <laughs> yeah. That's the the that came, test. it's like yeah, that's
1: good <laughs> exactly so um maybe we should do a, a, a follow-up then chris this is a great idea so as soon as they get denied, then we write another thing and say, they've just, you've, they've just proven it's a sincerely That's held right. belief. <laughs> <Exactly. Yeah. laughs>
0: like how far do they have to go <laughs> to prove it sincere, right? But I just want to, I, I think this can be an encouragement for those that are listening that yes, there is a legitimate, this is, you're hearing three pastors in a room say, this is a legitimate area of Christian conscience and you have to sort out before the Lord. It Likewise, I suppose you could say, if you have a, a conviction to be vaccinated and you don't, I guess we could say in a sense that you would also be in sin if you truly have a conviction, uh, whether that's accurate or not. But um, I think these are important questions. So um, back to you, Tim, one, this is kind of we got to wrap up soon here. But you spoke about a way forward with uh, dealing with conscience. And I thought some of the the points you brought up were really helpful. And I'm just going to bring up two that you can maybe talk about. But the Need to be aware of the tyranny of the weaker brother, as well as the danger of uniformity. Uh, and so, maybe you could just speak real quickly to those and then any concluding thoughts you might have, both of you.
2: Yeah, when we, we have an issue that is a matter of conscience, there, there are some dangers that are lurking because we misunderstand conscience, because we recognize Romans 14 was written for unity. And so we figure, well, well, unity, and we we confuse unity with uniformity, and so we have the weaker brother of Romans fourteen is is one who feels that, um, you know, they they would sin if they were to eat meat, and so really they they want they want an environment without any meat in that environment, and so there might be some who feel, you know, if if I come to church with with without a mask on, or or if others are there, I, I can wear a mask, but if others are there without a mask on, then it's really going to sin because I'm. I'll be violating Romans 13 we're not obeying our governing authorities and so they expect everyone to to kind of comply or, or, or to match the uh, you know the same behavior as as the weaker brother in that case and it, and it could be on, on either side which which expects others conscience to be bound by your own conscience mm-hmm. and so essentially what they're saying is is I'm I'm the Lord Jesus and, and I'm Lord and they're trying to um, you know, put, put their way on the church and and the church elders can do it the same way. And and Aaron had mentioned it when, where they're outside of their sphere of authority and the elders can, can, Talk about uniformity and say, okay, look, what we're going to do is this is a conscious issue, but we're we're all going to wear masks, and and so so we're going to give up our, our our preferences, our liberty in this issue, and and we're going to to love one another by everyone wearing masks. But what they have, what they've done there is is not actually fulfill what Romans fourteen is. We actually have a different of behaviors, but we're going to love one another. This is this is this is a heavy handed kind of coercive uniformity, which which excludes those people who, who feel it's sinful for them to go to church with a mask on. It and says, it says, you're not welcome here. And so it's a, it's a worldly kind of uniformity. And, and the elders in that case are, are really lording over those people with, with, a, with a strong conscience in the church. And, uh, and so they're, they're acting in the place of Jesus. And, and of course the whole point of Romans 14 is that Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus is Lord, we're freed from the tyranny of the weaker brother who who wants to be Lord over others. We're free from the tyranny of, of the elders who want to lord it over the church. And uh, we recognize that each of us or will stand and fall before the Lord, mm-hmm. but we can we can love one another and leave that judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ rather than trying to conform everybody else to our opinions and our beliefs. Mm-hmm.
0: It's really helpful, Aaron. You look like you're nodding in agreement. You
1: might have something to add to that. No, I love it. I like. Yeah. You usually, I have to do the talking. I get to listen to him too, this and is just great. kind of. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's, I'm so, super thankful for you, Tim, and I love you as a brother. And I'm thankful for the stance you've taken for Christ. Um, you know, the reason why we do these podcasts is not just to have some benign discussions, you know, about egghead theology or Poindexter theology, to sort of some esoteric conversations about. You know stuff that's of interest. Um, this, this, this is real theology. This is practical theology. This is cultural theology. And oftentimes I repeat myself on these podcasts because I really want to help our listeners find the words to be able to pass on to the people in their spheres of influence this message. So I I know a lot of, I met a lot of Christian lay people this week and it's like, you know, we're we're kind of look that the idea is we're looking for the language because we're with you. We just, we're having trouble kind of convincing people in our congregation. So talking about how God's word, God's law word affects and influences structures in society and culture as a whole is really important. We're not promoting a works oriented gospel. We're not promoting a coercive kind of gospel. We're basically saying God has provided boundaries for the world that he created. There's rules and regulations that govern the world that he's created and all the structures and social institutions in it. And if we cast those aside, people's lives are destroyed, right? That's kind of what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And we're pleading with people to exercise grace in areas of conscience and for pastors to help their people think through these issues. Uh, And we are wanting people to have a right understanding of their own authority in life. If you're a parent, do you know what your authority boundaries are? If you're a pastor, do you know what your authority boundaries are? If you're a politician, do you know what your authority boundaries are? If you're a cop, do you know what your authority boundaries are? These are critical issues. These are absolutely critical issues uh, that have a bearing on all, all of the things that we've been wrestling through and dealing with in the last year i'll just um the way i'll sort of end my my um contribution here today and then you know if tim you want to sign off is just to say that um, don't be discouraged because the lord is really working mightily and even though from a human perspective it's really hard to be a christian right now again as i said at the beginning it's a wonderful time to be a christian the lord is doing an amazing work and you know here we are we're weak men we have our own sinful inclinations and our flaws and our foolish thinking and all that sort of stuff. But the Lord uses us cracked pots, us broken vessels, jars of clay to carry his message into the world. And that's the calling of every Christian. Um, And if we remain faithful to him, I'm absolutely convinced we're going to see lots of people saved. We're going to see some reform take place. It might not all happen as fast as we want or in our lifetimes, but we 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 choose to remain faithful unto death because we know the Lord will ultimately honor us, and he will be glorified, which is our ultimate goal, the glory of God and all the decisions and and actions that we participate in
2: mm-hmm. yeah and, and the lesson that we've really been um been driven home in our own hearts is is the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Lord over all things and of course as, as King as lord he has he has his law he has his word he's been told us to pray that way your kingdom come your will be done on earth as is in heaven and of course that touches it touches our marriages it touches our churches it touches the civil society It touches all of things and i think that gives us as christians great hope uh that that god hasn't just left us with just a small little corner of our lives that he speaks into but rather we have his word that touches every aspect of life and so we have such a a treasure of wisdom and of course uh, God's grace and his mercy and his love is 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 seen through his word as it continues to, to direct us to him and as he he cares and, and continues to govern his world. So I'm I'm so encouraged and our church is encouraged. And I uh, just want to thank you guys for having me on your podcast. It's been it's been great. Yeah. Well,
0: we're so grateful to have you and uh, grateful for the many insights you've given during this week. I know many of them aren't available to our listeners just yet, but hopefully soon. Um, just a reminder to each of you that are listening to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, but also to check out other great resources from the Ezra Institute, or uh, we partner with the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Uh, and so you can download their app, the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. And on that app, there is uh, resources, other podcasts from uh, American friends of ours, but also some Canadian podcasts like the podcast from the Ezra Institute, the uh, I believe they call it the um for the for Cultural Reformation. That's the end of it. I can't remember the first part right now, but uh, it's very solid, uh, as well as the Rebel Podcast um, with Nate Wright. There's other great episodes there to check out. So, And I'm sure uh, Tim's probably got some resources on his website. I think he had mentioned that there's many of his uh, updates to his church family end up becoming blog posts. So do check that out. And uh, we'd be glad to have you read those and just be equipped by them wherever you may be at. Remember again to tune in. Uh, we're on the CJXC radio on uh, at Canada's Con- Constant Christian Companion, 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and 11 p.m. on Thursdays. And as well, you can get that app and download it and make sure to subscribe, share and like the podcast to help spread the word out. So thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. And tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.